Amen. He is risen. And today we are joining with uh, millions of believers all across the globe who are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He stayed in the tomb on Friday and on Saturday. But on Sunday morning, something began to happen. It says that the ground began to shake. An angel came and rolled the stone away. And Jesus came alive again. He didn't stay dead. That's something to rejoice about. I mean, that's something to celebrate this morning. Now, as many of you know, we are beginning a brand new series this morning called Love Reigns. It's a four-week series, and so next week we'll be talking about how God's love reigns over our past. And then the following week, how God's love reigns over our present. And then the week after that, how God's love reigns over our future. Today we're going to look at how God's love reigns in the context of the, re- the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, love might be probably the most powerful motivating force in the universe. I mean, it can make you do crazy things. It can make you do heroic things. It can make you do uh, sacrificial things. And sometimes it can make you do stupid things. How many of you wives can testify that when your husbands were courting you, they did some stupid things? Right? A few of you, right? You know, I know a guy who liked this woman. And as he finally got up the courage to, to talk to her, the first thing he said to her, blurted out, was... This grown man now, do you want to see my spider bite? I can remember in junior high, walking home from school, and uh, this kid near me, his name was Michael, uh, uh, calling out to this, this other girl going by. He said, hey, Susie, guess what? I beat up Jason today. And Susie turned around and said, I'm not impressed, Michael. And she went off, and Michael's standing there thinking, what do I got to do to impress Susie? Do I got to beat up somebody bigger? You know, when we're in elementary school, we think, oh, I kind of like that girl. How can I let her know? I know. I'll go pull her ponytail. That'll make her know that I like her, right? And we do some stupid things sometimes because love is motivating us, right? Sometimes love can make you do some heroic things. Like the guy uh, in, in wartime who jumps on a grenade to save his buddies. Sometimes love can make you do sacrificial things. Like the mother or father who makes a hundred small, unnoticed sacrifices every single day for their children. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love drives so much of what is behind uh, the sacrifices that we make and the, the things that we do for our families and our friends. But as great as love is, as great as human love is, it, com- it pales in comparison to the love that's in the heart of God. Here's how the Apostle John described it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, he said this, God is love. Will you all say that verse with me? God is love. It doesn't just say he has love, or sometimes he loves. God is love. It is, love isn't something that God does every once in a while. It's something that he is. Like The same way God is holy, and God is righteous, and God is eternal, God is love. It's the essence of of who he is. And the great news is this. As you look at God's love in the Bible, it's more than a feeling, right? It's more than a feeling, right? It's the essence of who he is. It's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling that God has for you. I mean, it's more than just a warm, gooey, melted chocolate kind of feeling, right, that God has for you. I mean, all that's great, right? Warm, fuzzy feelings, they're all great, right? 
But the most famous verse in the Bible says this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he did something, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So love is why God did everything he did. Love is why there was a Christmas day. Love is why there was a three and a half year ministry of Jesus healing people and teaching people. Love is why there was a cross. Love is why there's a resurrection. And love is what is motivating Jesus as he sits on his throne right now. So this morning, in the context of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, I'm going to share with you three ways the Bible shows us that God is love. Three ways that God loves people, that God's love reigns in his followers. Would you just bow in prayer with me for a moment over the word of God? Dear Jesus, Please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. And give us a heart that understands. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, the first idea is this. The first way that God loves us is this. Is God has a sacrificial kind of love. Let's continue for a moment. Just in John's letter, chapter 4. We just saw that it says that God is love. But he went on to describe this love a little bit further in verses 8 to 10. He said, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As what does it say? As an atoning sacrifice. And so consider for a minute the sacrificial love of the Father. He gave his only son. He gave the best he had for us. The son was eternally existent with the Father. He had perfect fellowship with the Father, and the Father placed him in our worlds, placed him in our hands, as it were, knowing what we would do, knowing that he would be mocked and ridiculed and spit on, knowing he would be falsely accused and spoken evil about, knowing that he would be beaten and battered and scourged with a whip, and that he would be nailed to a cross. I mean, for the Heavenly Father to allow that because he loved us, that's an amazing kind of sacrificial love. I don't know about you, but when I think about my children, I don't think I'd let the smallest thing happen to them, even if it were for the sake of the entire world. But the father looked past all of that stuff. He saw what the end result would be. And he sacrificially loved us with his own beloved son. Consider for a minute now the sacrificial love of Jesus. I mean, he enjoyed the glories of heaven, right? He was sitting on the throne of heaven as the pre-incarnate son of God. And and there, everyone did everything that he said all the time. Without complaining and without arguing. How many of you parents would like just one day? Like that, right? He gave all that up. He sacrificed all of that to come here to become one of us. And for the first time in his his existence, he experienced needs like hunger and thirst. He experienced the brutal reality of being a human. People, his own creation would question him. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they came all the time deceitfully trying to trap him and, and to question him. Even his own followers, his disciples, sometimes questioned him and what he was doing and uh, even sometimes rebuked him over what he was doing. I mean, nobody did that when he was on the throne of heaven. Jesus sacrificed all of the glories of heaven because of a sacrificial love. 
But it goes even further than that. He sacrificed his human life for us. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, in the ancient sacrificial system that, that God set up through Moses, they would, they would bring animals as sin offerings to try to cover their sin. And so these goats and these rams and these bulls were offered up day after day, week after week, year after year, and they never really purified the sinner. They never really atoned for the sin uh, that, or made the sinner right with God. Instead, they were really just a reminder of the sin. These sacrifices just kept telling the worshiper, you're really sinful, and God is really, really holy. But then Jesus comes along. And our scripture here says that he is an atoning sacrifice for sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the entire world. He died there for your sins. He died there for my sins. And because he is the perfect, sinless son of God, and at the same time the perfect, sinless man, his sacrifice was effective. He accomplishes once for all what all those other sacrifices could never accomplish. He atoned for our sins so that we could experience God's forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. It cost Jesus a lot. He loved us with a sacrificial kind of love in order to make that happen. The veil in the temple was torn in two, and the way into the presence of God Almighty was open for us. Now, what would motivate him to do something like that? I mean, uh, did he need us for some reason? I mean, did, did he have a need or something? Well, the Bible says that God has no needs. He doesn't have any types of needs at all. No physical needs, no emotional needs. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our worship in any way. Well, if it wasn't that, did he, did he have a moral obligation maybe to go to the cross? Well, that's not it either. I mean, the Bible paints a picture of God as having no moral obligations. As a matter of fact, he's the source of all moral laws. He is truth. He is justice. All those things flow from who he is. Then why? The scripture here says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves us sacrificially. And then secondly, God has a heroic love. God has a heroic kind of love. I mean, what do you think when I say the word hero? I mean, Memorial Day is coming up, right? Maybe you think of people who made the ultimate sacrifice for our country, right? They're heroes, right? Or maybe you think of, of people who run into burning buildings while everyone else is trying to run out of the burning buildings, right? They're heroes, right? Or maybe you think of people who, who run towards shots fired when everyone else is running away from shots fired, right? And... and so those are heroes as well, right? We think of people running uh, towards danger to protect those who, at the moment, are powerless to protect themselves. Heroes. The one with the ability and willingness to save someone who can't save themselves. Well, you know, the Bible paints kind of a, a similar kind of picture of humanity. As helpless, in need of saving in bondage to sin, in bondage to fear, in bondage to death, held captive by the devil. Paul says we're slaves to sin. Jesus says that um, anyone who sins is a slave to sin, in bondage, in slavery, in captivity, and powerless to do anything about it. But in Romans chapter 5, 
Paul says this in verse 6. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we could do nothing about our situation, when, when all was lost, when it seemed hopeless and humanity was destined to spend eternity away from God, Jesus stepped in. Jesus arrived on the scene at just the right time. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. He arrives at just the right time. And he did something about it. Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless to do for ourselves, he did by dying on the cross. And the reason he did it was because of love. That's a heroic kind of love. He continues to describe it in verse 7, in the next verse. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might dare to die. Uh, Now, I want to unpack this verse for just a couple minutes here. You know, Paul says, you know, it's not really common for one person to willingly die for another. It's not really in our nature to do that very often, right? But he does acknowledge that on rare occasions that has happened. He says, you know, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Now, when he says good person, he's not talking about, you know, morally, someone who's morally good before God all by themselves, right? Um, he's using the word in a relative way here. Jesus said, there's none good except God. But here, he's using it in a relative way. He's saying that someone in a desperate situation might make this determination, you know, that person's a good person. That person's life deserves to be lived. That Maybe that person's life is worth more than mine, right? And so um, they deserve to live. And so someone throws himself on a grenade. Some, somebody takes a bullet for them. But going on in verse 8, it says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So look at the difference here. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, now, hey, now there's a really good person. I, I should die for that person. There's a righteous person who deserves to live, right? He doesn't look at us and say, well, well, that person's life is worth more than mine. I, I should die for that person because they're worth more than me. Jesus doesn't owe anything to anyone. But still he died, not for good people, but for powerless sinners. Jesus died as the hero of the sinner. Jesus is the one who threw himself on a grenade for us. He's the one who took a bullet for us, so to speak. Why? Well, it says here, because of his love for us. He demonstrated a heroic love for us. Last week, we sang that song. The chorus goes, O hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Now we dance in your freedom, awake and alive. O Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. O God, you have done great things. He's demonstrated a heroic kind of love for us. Jesus himself described it this way in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. That's a heroic kind of love. God loves us sacrificially. God loves us with a heroic love. And lastly, God has an overcoming kind of love for us. An overcoming kind of love. You know, after Jesus died heroically and sacrificially, he didn't stay dead. I love how Matthew describes it in his gospel, Matthew 28. He says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to look at the tomb. 
There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. You see, Jesus possessed what the author of Hebrews called the power of an indestructible life. That is, being sinless, he was able to overcome the power of all that sin that was heaped on him at the cross. And being sinless, he was able to come the power of death. You know, no one else was ever able to to do that. But Jesus said, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. You know, there have been many people who have had the authority to lay down their lives if they wanted to. But no one, after they were dead, ever had the authority within themselves to take it up again except for Jesus, because he had the power of an indestructible life. And so Peter says on the day of Pentecost, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death with all its power could not keep him down. And can I tell you, all the demons of hell could have jumped on him and tried to keep him down, but nothing, nothing was going to keep Jesus in the grave. He had the power of an indestructible life. And it says when he rose, he broke the power of sin. He broke the bondage of sin, broke the power of fear and the bondage of death. He proclaims freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and he sets the oppressed free. Hallelujah. He told the disciples, be of good cheer because I have what? Overcome. I have overcome the world. But it gets even better than that. Some of you are saying, Pastor Paul, how can it get even better than that? Well, well, let me show you. I'm glad you asked. All right. After Peter said it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, he went on to say this a few verses later, that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Oh, my goodness. Do you understand what is going on here? I mean, here, this is the day of Pentecost, and, and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on his, Jesus' followers, and he's saying that, Peter's saying that when Jesus was exalted to the Father, he wasn't done. He, just, he didn't just go there and sit down and be done with us. As proof that he was received at the Father's right hand and taken uh, his place on the throne in heaven, he receives from the Father the Holy Spirit. And he pours out the Holy Spirit on his followers. The same Holy Spirit that anointed his life, he pours out on his followers. And this is an amazing and incredible because it's not just some nice doctrine to talk about. It's not just some nice benevolent motivation that just comes on you from time to time. This is the living God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who was poured into the hearts of believers, of followers of Jesus, into the hearts of redeemed people. And he lives there just like he lived in Jesus. And he gives the same overcoming power 
to the followers of Jesus. Let me show you how this works. There's this beautiful passage in Romans chapter 8 that shows how this works. Beginning in verse 18, he says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so we go through some sufferings, right? We go through some stuff, stuff you wouldn't want to go through, right? We go through in this life. But a few verses later, verse 26, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, right? So the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus is helping us in our weakness. The overcoming power of Jesus coming to us in the Holy Spirit when we are weak. Going on, verse 28, he has this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right? And so in the middle of these sufferings that he just mentioned, he's saying that, that God's working all of it for our good. Right? He hasn't abandoned us. He's working all these things for our good. And what's he doing? Well, the next verse, he says, For God for, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Right? So he's making you like Jesus. He's conforming you to the image of Jesus. This Holy Spirit he's poured out on you is living the life of Jesus through you. Going on, verse 31. He says, what shall we say then in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, God himself is for you. The living God is for you. Who can be against you? He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This risen Jesus, when he went there and sat down, he continued to do something. He poured out the Holy Spirit on us, but then he continued to do even more. Now he's interceding for us. He's talking to the Heavenly Father for us. Imagine that for a minute. When you're going through stuff, all these sufferings and difficulties that he mentions, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was risen from the dead, who overcame death, is by the Father's side, and he's saying your name. Imagine that. He's saying your name. God, Father, God, go work in their lives. Help conform them to the image, to my image. And what's motivating him? Why is he doing that? Well, it's in the next verse, verse 35. Who shall separate us from what? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's his overcoming love that's motivating him. Jesus is still motivated by love. He's got sacrificial love, heroic love, and now he's displaying an overcoming kind of love. Going on, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are what? What are we? Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. What are you? More than conquerors, right? We are overcomers through him who did what? Him who? Him who loved us. This is Jesus still on the throne loving us. Seeing us in our weakness and sufferings and imparting to us by his Holy Spirit. This overcoming power by his overcoming love. Going on, he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future... 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We overcome all these things, all these trials, every challenge that we will ever face here because he loved us sacrificially, because he loved us heroically, and because he loved us with an overcoming kind of love. A love that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and helps us in our weakness. And so we overcome the world because he who loved us is greater than he who's in the world. Hallelujah. That's something to rejoice about. Hallelujah. And you know, as we get ready to close this morning, and we consider this sacrificial, heroic, and overcoming kind of love, the only real question that's left is, and if I can have the worship team come at this time, the only real question that's left is, will you let that sacrificial kind of love reign in your heart? If you can imagine with me for just a moment that this chair is kind of like the throne of your heart. And who should sit there? I mean, it's the throne of your heart, right? I mean, who else should sit there but you, right? I mean, because who else has the right to make all the decisions in your life? I mean, I don't have the right to sit on the throne of your heart and tell you what you should do all the time, right? And you don't have the right to sit on the throne of anyone else's heart and tell them what they should do all the time, right? Who else but you should sit on the throne of your heart and make all the decisions? There's no one that has that right except, except for Jesus. Why? Because he had a sacrificial and heroic and overcoming kind of love for you. Now, he won't force you out of that chair. You can sit there as long as you want. He's not going to force you out of that chair. But he asks you to get out of that chair and let him sit there. Let him be the Lord of your life. To let his love reign in your life and in your heart. And it's your choice to either sit there yourself and say, no, I'm going to control my life. I'm going to be in control of everything. Or to get up and in faith in the risen Jesus say, I believe you're alive. And I believe you're risen. You died for me and you're risen again. And you are on the throne and you love me sacrificially, heroically, and with an overcoming love. And I'm going to let you, Jesus, sit on the throne of my heart. Would you all bow and pray with me for a moment? And while every head is bowed, let me just ask you, how many of you would say to me this morning, you know, Pastor Paul, I want to make a decision to let Jesus reign on the throne of my heart. Maybe you've been letting him reign in a lot of areas of your life, but this morning the Holy Spirit's showing you one area, and you could name it. And you've been, you've been the one on the throne. And this morning you want to say, you know what? I want to give that area of my, of my life up and let Jesus be Lord of that. And you just raise your hand and say, yeah, Pastor Paul, remember me in prayer. Thank you for those hands. Is there anyone else? Thank you for all those hands going up. Yeah, um, you will never regret letting Jesus be the Lord of every area of your life. Anyone else we can pray for? Father, I pray for those who have lifted their hands. I pray that you would bless them and be with them. Help them, God, as they surrender every area of life to you. Let your grace come flooding into their hearts and into their lives. Now let me ask this one more time as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Is there anyone here or maybe you're online and you would say to me, you know, Pastor Paul, I've never really ever let Jesus be the Lord of my life. I've never trusted him with my salvation and let his love rule in my heart. That way I've never really 
done that, or maybe you did that, but you really walked away, and this morning you're saying, I, I want to come back to him. Whether it's a first time or you're coming back to him and you say, I want to let Jesus be on the throne of my heart again. You just raise your hand right where you are, and we're going to remember you in prayer. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? You say, yeah, that's me, Pastor Paul. I'm going to let Jesus reign on the, on the throne of my heart and give him my life. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to follow me in this prayer, to pray this prayer out loud with me as the whole congregation. And as you do, as you, it's not a magic prayer, but as you mix this prayer with faith in your heart, God's going to do everything that you ask him to do. It's just a prayer of starting a walk and a relationship of faith in Jesus. Would you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I confess I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. And you're holy. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe he ascended into heaven. And that he did all of this because he loves me. Jesus, please be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Let your love reign in my heart. In the name of Jesus. Amen.